Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. Thank you, Susan. I'm here with Keith Scandone, co-founder of O3, on the topic of customer experience, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. I invited Keith because he and his partner have built an amazing company. And 18 years later, they continue to help client companies create customer experience that aligns with their client company's values and goals. A really big deal to accomplish. I'm so glad you're able to be here with me today, Keith. Thanks so much, Deborah. Well, so tell me about this big deal creation of your company with a specific focus on client customer experience. How did you get from 18 years ago into this business and to where you are today? Sure, absolutely. So we started, as you said, 18 years ago as a brand communications company, um, but we still had kind of a slant toward digital. So so back then, 18 years ago, this is really before companies were as sophisticated maybe when it comes to digital websites, products, things of that nature. So we kind of leaned into that when we started. So much so that a few years later, we actually moved away from uh, branding and identity development and just became a digital agency. And it was really just focusing again a little bit. We've always focused on sort of being deep and not wide in, in our offerings. And so again, that's why we wanted to be just, just digital. So at that point, it was websites and e-commerce sites and some startup products. And then we further refined our offerings maybe about five or so years after that, and we became a digital product agency. And really the idea then, Deborah, was um, continue to still do those uh, digital solutions, but almost take like a startup mentality into enterprise organizations. So looking for gaps in their customer experience journey, potentially, and maybe opportunities through new products. So that's interesting nuance. So your your focus really is larger enterprise companies and helping identify and fill gaps in the customer experience. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, and I'll, I'll kind of get to where, where we are today, but we kind of continually evolved and then just changed who we were and kind of how we we're explaining ourselves as a customer experience consultancy. And so a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we wanted to be looked at. We always had been by clients, but I think more more broadly in the market, wanted to look at uh, be looked at more strategically. So digital product agency looks at more sort of like the, the hands on delivering the work and less of maybe the head of the strategy. Um, and so the consultancy aspect, it, it positions us a little bit more strategically. So yes, we work with typically primarily enterprise companies, although not, not exclusively, and really look at the entire customer uh, journey. So we're, sometimes we're dealing with one department or multiple inside organizations and really kind of look at every single touch point from when they first interact or touch base with the client uh, and all the way through that journey. So what does it look like if they go into a store, if they call someone on the phone, if they visit their website, then they might go to a customer portal. And we look at all of those um, experiences uh, and we assess them obviously from a user experience and technology standpoint, but also want to understand from the sales support team, the customer support team, um, the customer themselves, where are the pain points and where are they dropping off? And so then we provide recommendations to either improve those, tighten them up, or create new new experiences entirely. It's interesting because the term customer experience, customer journey, you know, we use it all the time, we hear it all the time, but it's interesting to hear you break down the different components of that because when I'm the customer, I know immediately when it's not working. When it is working, I don't think about it. So it's not like I'm going to send in high fives typically, although I'd like to think I do when appropriate. Let's just leave that one alone. But mm -hmm. when it's a problem, I definitely notice it. 
Yep. Hearing you talk about it from the inside the company standpoint, in some ways, it's amazing that it works at all because there are so many different people and organizations within the company touching the customer. And how do you how do you identify those and set them up in a, in a way that actually, I guess, reduces friction or, or makes it smoother? Yeah, that that that's a great point and a great question. And there's there's so many different answers to that. So. Number one, you know, how do they do it well? I mean, the problem is, I guess, opportunity-wise, but the problem is so many of them are not doing it well. Um, you know, recent experience that I've had over the course of the last several months with Xfinity, I mean, really almost every single step of that process has been broken from the technology itself not working to the customer support actually getting somebody on the phone to them sending out the right products, which are typically wrong. I mean, if I did a case study on them over the last three months, it really kind of showcases sort of the break in the customer experience uh, across the board. And beyond that, even when they follow up for surveys, even if you give them a negative score, there's no follow-up there, which just adds more friction or frustration, essentially, to the customer itself. So you made a lot of good points. So, so, so number one, actually, is just internal buying is one of the, the biggest challenges. So for example, let's just say we're working with the marketing department and we're providing a solution within the marketing department that they're owning. Well, typically that product also is touched by maybe the product team or the technology team or something along those lines. Unfortunately, inside organizations, they're so siloed that they don't really communicate very well internally. So our job, Deborah, is not really just to here's the solution and let's kind of drive it forward. Our job, honestly, as consultants is almost to play politics internally inside organizations. So it's like bringing them to the table, like technology, you need to play nice with marketing, marketing, you need to play nice with with technology. So that's a lot of it first, just the ultimate, the buy-in from like the top down and then in the, in the individual departments and understand that in the customer journey, you might go, from, as I said, from a website to a portal and that might be owned by two different departments yeah. inside of the organization. So even though they're, they own those, they have to understand that there is a, you know, there's a pass off in some regard. And honestly, that typically ends up being the hardest part. We can look at it pretty holistically and know where the problems are, but getting the people internally to agree upon it or the budgets to be aligned at the right time is often where the challenge is. So there's probably no title, at least not one that's prevalent in a large company called head of customer journey or head of customer experience. I, I know I maybe I've seen that title, but it, it's typically not what you're talking about. And, and I think it's typically not a position of power and likely doesn't own any budget. <laughs> has to get everybody else to comply. I mean, I'm just making yeah. that up, but that's what I've seen. That's been my experience. So it sounds like you and your team come in almost as that department, not creating another silo, but you come in as the leader of the band for customer experience and then create a neutral space so that you don't own this budget, you don't own that budget. There's a specific fee structure, I suppose, set aside uh, for you to do what you do, but you must come in as Switzerland and not positioning one department versus the other. You're you're really coming in on behalf of the customer. Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. Switzerland is a great way to put it. You're, you're, you're completely right because actually what's unique about us, even though we're kind of a more boutique firm in size and kind of always have been, we've always been very balanced between design and engineering. 
So typically when you see um, uh, either organizations or whether you see sort of agencies or consultancies, they kind of specialize one or the other. They're kind of focused on the design and they don't have as much appreciation or know what that conversation looks like with technology or vice versa. So we really are Switzerland that we are, we're very empathetic to technology and what their needs are functionally, security wise, whatever it might be. But we also need to know that the experience is um, uh, embraces the customer itself as well. So, so absolutely, we really try to come in with an objective, unbiased perspective. And the other thing as well is we don't really, we're agnostic when it comes to technology uh, solutions as well in terms of what tech stack they might use. So the same thing, we're not coming in, we're like, we have to pitch this particular platform or this particular technology. We're really looking at it with an open set of eyes. Who are you usually working with? Like, do you usually have a point person in an organization and what position might they hold? Sure. I'd say primarily it is in marketing. So CMO, VP of marketing, something along those lines, typically. Uh, we also often work with um, uh, product owners. So sometimes it's chief product uh, manager, because again, several of these companies uh, either have desktop or other applications that are really kind of running the organization. So that's a pretty common title. Chief innovation officer. We work with a lot of innovation uh, teams. We work with Vanguards and Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, American Family Insurance and others. So really kind of helping them be more innovative in their space, very specifically, they're tasked with that. So helping them with what that model looks like, what the team might look like, and then helping with the kind of prototyping, validating, and kind of going to market with ideas. And then the other one, as you said, there's not really, it's starting to become a little bit more um, companies are becoming a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to experience. So some of those titles are popping up, Deborah. Chief Digital Officer is another one. It's sort of a it's sure. it's an it's a title that kind of accompanies a lot of different things. It's sort of vague and nebulous. It doesn't say a lot, but it sort of is enough that it kind of positions us in the tech side and, and positions them as, as kind of the design side as well. So we're seeing that a little bit more frequently. But you're right, we're definitely coming in as an augmented piece to to their organization that they typically either don't have that person or certainly don't have a team to provide all the solutions that, that we can. And having been inside of companies in my own corporate career, as well as uh, running a number of engagements myself at Chief Outsiders, the work that you and your team do is what everyone inside the company wants to see happen. Yeah. And, and they probably complain about it all the time and see, well, if only, you know, if only, if only, but nobody knows how to do it then there's much more politics involved if it's just one department trying to pull everybody's you know, purse strings together. But I think it's very interesting because sometimes I hear about customer experience as a program and I can think of known brands that speak to the wow factors. And that's great. Here's a point in the customer journey where we're gonna create a wow factor and here's another wow factor. But these become programs versus you get into the pipes it sounds like you get into the people, the process, and the pipes. Exactly right. <laughs> that may you're not be your right. pitch, but that's what I hear. It is. And, and you're right. I mean, that. so obviously, to your point, philosophically, as an organization, you have to kind of get on board with it. And so that is from the very, very top in terms of like, where are we going? What's our vision? What's our strategy? And sort of what's the end goal? What's the ROI on this kind of over time? Uh, then you need to get the people. So you have to put the money behind it, but then you have to get the right people inside the organization that are embracing it um, individually and then collectively. And then when you bring in a company like us, you have to also be open to it. You know, the other thing is this is obviously all encompassing and it can be really overwhelming. 
I think too often clients are looking to move the entire boat and ship at once when really you can do sort of smaller programs. I mean, you can kind of test these things. That's why we love the innovation space. Whereas when we, we talk about kind of prototyping and validating an idea, you don't have to spend a tremendous amount of money. Uh, often in the old days, you know, you would you'd ship some spec out to develop a product that would take months, sometimes years, and then they produce it and you put it out to the market and your clients don't like it and it's terrible and it fails miserably. You spend all that time, all that money, and you never showed them. You can iterate along the way. And I think that's the best way yes. to run, frankly, all these areas yes. uh, of business. And I think sometimes these clients are looking at like taking a huge bite of the apple versus taking a smaller one along the way, proving its success, building on it. And they may be transitioning that over to the next department. So how broken does a part of the customer journey need to be before a company is triggered to call you in? Uh, so there's a couple of things. Sometimes it's abs- it's actually broken. And a couple of examples, of, let's just say it might be a lead gen website. And for, for some reason, they're getting a lot of traffic to the site, but they're just not converting. Yes. So that's obviously very, you know, very, very clear and obvious that our return on investment is not just getting people there, but converting them. So there might be an analysis, you know, in that the journey itself, and maybe it's the forms, you know, maybe it's the follow up, something along those lines. I mean, that's one, you know, really kind of clear and obvious example. Oftentimes, again, we come in to sort of save products that were built by engineering teams years ago and they work fine, but consumers' expectations have changed over the years. And it's not like, you know, engineers look at it as like, well, it works. It does work. But number one, it's an inconsistent experience maybe on that app than it is on maybe some of the improved applications or websites they have inside the organization. So sometimes it's very obvious, like not only does it look bad, but it just doesn't doesn't really kind of make sense to their brand or to their customer. So that's a really, really obvious one. There's some things that just happen legally that have been happening in, in the space, such as digital accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a really, really big thing that obviously they passed, you know, several pretty stringent laws about being accessible to people of, of all sort of walks of life, yes. whatever the shortcoming may may be in some some fashion. So sometimes they're kind of being forced down that path and not just legally. And first of all, philosophically, it's the right thing to do to be accessible to all people. Two, there's the legal aspect. But three, I mean, there is a, a very large portion of the population that aren't able to really engage with your brand because of that. So it's missed opportunity as well. And now it's time for a quick break. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. Recruiting a quality full-time executive can take months, not to mention the ongoing cost. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with Chief Outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back. So there's uh, there are a couple of examples. And I said the, the other thing, Deborah, is oftentimes they're kind of focusing on the tried and true of like, this is what we've been using to get business. And sometimes we are brought in to look at what's the bigger picture here? What is your audience? What is your target audience that you are catering to? And maybe an audience that you're not catering to. What can we provide more of? So it might be a bolt-on piece to something they have yes. or an entirely new product, which again, which we've done uh, quite a bit of work in the new product space. I mean, over 18 years and in pivoting your own company, you've seen many companies and many different situations and figured out how to solve pieces of it that 
your your vision or the way you see it in collaboration with the company, it's going to fit into a future state. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, really important. So, you know, talking about lead generation and, and websites, leads and business is a little bit tough right now. I know CEOs, many that I speak with, it's harder to get leads. It's harder to get conversions. Um, decisions are being postponed till later down the road. T times are tough. So in your role as, and I realize now you're in a, in a different role in your company, and I do want to talk about that in a minute, but if you were advising other CEOs, you know, because over 18 years, you've seen lots of bumpy roads and certainly overcome them all in today's environment where one headline says we're, you know, the economy's going down. Another headline speaks to the resilience of our economy and the, and the jobs just keep going. What's your advice to other CEOs who are just scratching their heads right now over how do I keep moving forward in such uncertain and confusing times? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, an analogy I use a lot is that you, you've, you're trying to fix the car while you're driving the car. You don't have the time to be able to step back for three months and be like, well, let's kind of pivot and go a different direction and market a different direction. You need to obviously continue to do what you're doing and bring in business to, to the best of your ability. You know, I think the big thing is in times like these, um, you know, owners and leaders often put their head down and they're just like, let's just power through. Let's just going to go what we know best and just kind of do more of it. And I think that's a missed opportunity. I think at times like this, you have to kind of really put, pick your head up and you have to look at like different ways potentially to build relationships and build opportunities. So as an example for us that I've always believed strongly in is just the power of sort of collaborative partnerships. So as I said, for example, we do everything from strategy, design and software development, but we've often partnered with design firms that don't do software development or software yes. development firms that don't do design where we don't do marketing per se. So we'll focus, we'll, we'll partner with marketing firms. So kind of a, a shared lead gen opportunity for us as businesses. And we come as the consultant, as I said, we're deep and not that wide that we know about the ecosystem. We know about different technologies. That doesn't mean we deliver every single solution. We don't. So we look to provide ourselves and insulate ourselves as other partners that we can go to that ultimately help out the client, but also do good in the kind of ecosystem. And you hope that kind of comes back around. So I think the partnerships is a really, really big thing. Don't focus just on yourself and don't focus on the need to like kind of own the entire client, every piece of it. I think be willing to kind of share some of those pieces um, and putting out the marketplace. I think that's big. And then again, you just really have got to look at different ways to kind of monetize the team that you you have in some regards. Um, you know, I'm speaking more kind of a service standpoint, but it's really no different if you're on the brand side as well. There, there's always different ways in which you can kind of embrace your you know current clients or embrace potential clients uh, and just find different ways to kind of stand out in the in the marketplace. So I mean we've experienced the same thing as what's happening in the economy and as with a lot of our clients being more enterprise in nature, mm -hmm. they've been very, very, very conservative. They've been pulling back considerably. So for us, for example, I mean we've had to go a little bit more down market. I mean we have to look at some different industries and we have to look at some different size companies. And we may have to take on smaller bite-sized engagements that we don't typically look at. We normally do these larger kind of, you know, retainer type engagements, but we might be looking at sort of like wedge offerings to, as I said, to like a small bite of the apple. So they don't feel since budgets are so tight internally, they have to be really, really smart about spending. So we'll offer them up a smarter, more concise, lower cost option. So they get some value out of it. They can show it internally. And then hopefully we kind of build from there. So you just have to really be sort of thoughtful and creative about doing business 
in a slightly different way than when the market is extremely strong. These wedge offerings, you know, smaller, more discrete, specific projects, you, you know, someone who's listening in, in the mid-market may say, well, how are they going to know how to do that? But it sounds like that's exactly what you do today yeah. in yes. larger organizations. You look for those opportunities. So you're perfectly suited, whether it's large enterprise, mid-market, and depending on size and so forth, even a smaller business so they can get it right from the get. So absolutely. Every time I would meet with clients and an opportunity, it often, Deb, which starts maybe with a project and then hopefully it expands into other departments, other opportunities. So we're pretty good about having long-term relationships with our clients. I mean, some of our top clients we've had over a decade. We've wow. worked in several different, yeah, we've, we've worked in several different departments um, and then yeah. continue to provide value. And obviously they're looking at how can we be more innovative in the design and technology space? And so we're, we're kind of there for that. But every time I would meet with a potential you know, client or opportunity, I'd always look, a, a term I'd use is like, how digitally bankrupt are they? So they might see right now, I only need this. Yes. But as you start having interviews and you start doing the discovery yeah. and you start looking at strategy, yeah. you recognize that yeah. there's opportunity all around them that they're not right. even aware of yet. Right. But you, you have to be understanding that they're moving, they're taking a step-by-step you know, yeah. we might see, as, as Wayne Gretz used to say, where the puck is going. Yes. They only see where the puck is right now. And right. so you have to help them navigate that and kind of yeah. go at their pace. But at the same time, you have to be forward thinking, not just for ourselves and, you know, longevity of the client relationship, but obviously for them as well. Where is the puck going either in their industry or technology or within their company specifically uh, mm -hmm. looking for? And then you're right. You're, you push around and recognize that one person or one department isn't quite ready yet. You offer up the idea and you hope that eventually will kind of come around. So, yeah. yeah, it really is our job to be pretty holistic about looking not just at what they're coming to us with, but also kind of beyond that. And with your outside in view of the company, we experience this, you know, at Chief Outsiders. You you sure. see things in a very different way. And often you tend to see things more the way the customer sees them, which is one of the great values that you bring. So let's let's talk about your new role? Because I almost said you're the CEO, but you're not the yes. CEO anymore. Talk about that. What your transition there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, after 18 years of being, you know, one of the founders and the, the CEO of the company, uh, you're just responsible for a lot of the day-to-day -day activities inside of the organization. So a lot of the leadership team reported up to me. And so obviously dealing with not just business development, but dealing with finance, dealing with HR and such. So over the course of time, it just starts to wear down on you, or at least it started to wear down on me a little bit, dealing with a lot of the same sort of issues over and over again. So I really felt that it was best for me and for the company, honestly, to kind of take a step back because where I think my value is to the organization is to be more of a visionary. I mean, I think I'm, I'm more entrepreneurial and opportunistic mm -hmm. in nature. And I'm, I'm big on building and maintaining relationships. Well, if you're kind of in the weeds day in and day out, you know, kind of managing people and kind of just navigating through some just stickiness within inside of an organization, mm -hmm. it's hard, as an example, I said, pick your head up to have your head up and look for opportunities. So, so we brought on a, a CEO, Michael Swallow, earlier in the year, and it's really been very beneficial for the organization because now you have somebody with a different perspective um, mm -hmm. and a different sort of energy as to kind of what he's doing. So it gives more, I think, direction and guidance and leadership and mentorship mm -hmm. for that leadership team. And then for myself, and which also helps the organization, allows me to really focus on business development and marketing and not just in the traditional sense, uh, Deborah. So for example, obviously selling O3 services, you know, we have a, a ventures program. So we've invested in a couple of products. 
So it allows me to kind of look in that market. Are there investment opportunities for O3 to um, be able to create additional revenue sources, uh, perhaps uh, in the product space? We also look at potential acquisition targets for smaller companies that might be complementary to O3 services. So it allows me to kind of be up in a space that's a little bit more strategic and high level and keep my eyes open for just really good relationship building opportunities versus as a CEO, you're really strictly thinking, how can I help the team I have? And every single meeting I have should yes. be helping to move the business forward. My role right now is much broader than that and allows me to meet just with any smart, yes. interesting, innovative, progressive you know, individuals yes. and kind of see where it goes from there. Yes. Now, so let's just hang in here for a minute and then we'll begin to wrap it up. But I've seen... You know, some who are listening in may be thinking about this, may have done this, maybe it's working well, maybe it's not working well, but I've worked with founders who have brought in a CEO and somehow the first one doesn't always last that long. That's Mm -hmm. just my experience. That's not data. Obviously, this is working well for you, but was there transition, things you learned during the transition about yourself as well as about just how to make that transition because there's the team has to also make the transition too. Oh, absolutely. And quite honestly, while you can give someone a title like that, it really is something earned. I mean, you know, the, the, the team has to decide yeah. like that is yes. our leader. Yeah. And that just takes time to decide if that's going to happen or not. You know, I'll tell you that one of the biggest things, one of the hardest things is actually in a role of CEO and founder, you're used to doing sort of everything. And you have a lot of kind of pride and obviously interest and making sure that the company, you know, does well and stays on path. And so I'm still involved, uh, obviously, from kind of an oversight standpoint. I know what's going on day in and day out, and I'm interacting with our team day in and day out. But you also really have to be willing to let the reins go. It's not really fair to the organization and certainly to the new CEO to be so hands-on. If you're going to hire somebody in that role, and it was very particular, very specific, that we gave Michael the title of CEO versus maybe president or managing director, and I would stay the CEO, really sort of need to rip that Band-Aid off mm-hmm. to allow him room to kind of roam and also just the authority internally and externally to know that he is the leader of the organization. And I'm there as a support mechanism, if nothing else. I think, you know, you, you've dealt with a lot of leaders and CEOs over the years, and so have I. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of really being willing to let go. They have such a control. Yes. That's what made them successful. But I think sometimes that's that's what kind of holds them back. Sometimes you have to be like, I've taken this thing sort of as far as I can. And you have to have enough comfort to be like, I- I'm okay stepping back and I'm comfortable stepping back and also letting somebody else kind of take my baby or this thing that I've built okay. and hopefully allowing to, to flourish in a different direction. So I think it's really incumbent on the CEO themselves to have that kind of mindset and and to give this new CEO and leader enough room and enough sort of uh, confidence in them to see if they can succeed and not kind of get in their way in doing so. Well, you uh, have obviously mastered that and picked the right person. And I met Michael, you know, as as you know, and I knew he was pretty cool when I suggested for our meeting that we just take a walk. So he brought his dog and we went out for probably a 45 minute walk and had our meeting and came back. And I said to myself, "Mm, Keith, good choice. You know, (laughs) someone who thinks a little differently and it doesn't have to always fit into a square box of the way that you do things. So you're really uniquely qualified to help CEOs and, and to help companies because you collaborated within the companies. You figured out that 
You don't want to go in and try to change the whole company all at one time because that's, and that, that's not even a good idea. You focus on developing partnerships. And I think that's a key point to be made for other service providers or businesses, you know, who may be listening in, you're open and interested in, in terms of serving companies as well as creating partnerships. And I also think sort of, I'm sure I'll use the term, the ease of bringing in another CEO. Sure, it wasn't quite as easy and smooth, but just your ability to pivot and transition to all these different places, remain flexible and not let sort of, as our uh, friend and colleague, Vistage Chair Peter Schwartz uses the term, not let CEO fatigue overtake sure. you, make the right decision, bring in the right person. And yeah. so doing a lot of things right. And I think that that's a, a journey and a story that is just a good end note. And thank I you. just thank you for taking the time today. It's been a delight to have you on the show. In a moment, we're going to tell a little bit more about your company for folks who may have interest in learning that and contacting you. And to my listeners, hope you've enjoyed this episode. And I look forward to you tuning in next week. Thank you Thanks so much, Deborah. Thank you, Keith. O3 is a customer experience consultancy that specializes in digital strategy, experience design, and software development, primarily for enterprise organizations. O3 works with marketing, technology, and innovation groups that are looking to optimize each and every touchpoint or create new ones within their customer's journey. AI consulting, product prototyping, digital accessibility, and personalization through marketing technology are just a few of the ways that O3 ensures they're mapping the latest technologies to align with your company's business objectives. For more information, you can visit o3world.com. That's O, like the letter O in Ozone. o3world.com. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results. <laughs>